Hello and welcome to Sari the Fairy Reads Books. My name is Sarah and I'm going to be starting to read Sanditon by Jane Austen and Kate Reardon. Um, it is based off of a 60-page manuscript by Jane Austen that was made into a PBS masterpiece a period drama by Andrew Davies and then was made into a book and that is what I'm going to start reading for you today. All right, chapter one. 1819. It was a spring day that whispered of a fine summer to come, the flowers chancing to open themselves up and the mild air scented with possibility. On the green slopes above the tiny hamlet of Willingdon, Charlotte Haywood was leading an assortment of her brothers and sisters on a walk. The rain of the previous days had prevented any exercise, and, as the eldest of twelve lively offspring, she was excessively glad to be out of the house. The walk undertaken, but none yet willing to go back indoors, they decided to take their rest in the long grass. The gentle countryside rolled away from them in all directions, peaceful and luxuriously green. It was so wonderfully quiet. The children becalmed after their exertions, the bright bird song only distant, that Charlotte would that Charlotte could hear the soft breeze sighing through every blade of grass. She ran her free hand through it, marveling at its springiness, the other hand occupied by the gun tucked expertly into the nook of her shoulder. She was just wondering how she might occupy herself for the rest of the day when a small movement caught her eye. Just below the gathering of haywoods were two rabbits, white tails flashing as they nibbled the clover. In a single fluid motion, Charlotte stood up, shifted her grip on the gun, and took aim. "'Look!' cried her sister Allison at the same moment, gesturing towards the rabbits, who immediately turned tail and vanished into the scrub. Charlotte, much irritated, was about to make a cutting remark when something more diverting caught her eye. Two horses, the sweat on their flanks visible even from the this remove, were struggling to pull a carriage up the steep and twisting lane that served as Willingdon's only road. That anyone should attempt this was so unusual that all the Haywoods were soon on their feet to better observe the spectacle. As they watched, the carriage, which had already slowed considerably, began to list, then lurch, and finally toppled over onto its side with a resounding crash. Charlotte hitched up her skirts. Quick, Allison, quickly, boys! As they hurried down the hill, more Haywood children, alerted by the racket, poured forth from the house as though there might be no end to them. None could hide their glee at this unexpected turn of events for Willingdon. It was a very out-of-the-way sort of place. What was surely a misfortune for the occupants of the carriage was already proving great entertainment for the younger Haywoods. When Charlotte reached the bottom of the slope, the coachman was already up and busy trying to calm the distressed horses. There was as yet no sign of the carriage's occupants, but as she drew closer, the door, which was now facing skywards, opened up. A gentleman's head and shoulders emerged. He looked about him with keen, darting eyes, as though enthusiasm and interest might be mustered even from the most alarming incident. "'Here we are,' he cried with admirable cheer. "'No harm done. Give me your hand, my love,' he said to his yet unseen companion, who was still ensconced in the stricken carriage." We'll soon have you out. Without further delay, Charlotte scrambled up onto the carriage to offer her assistance. 
Her sister, always more mindful of propriety, was shocked. Charlotte, what are you doing? she exclaimed. Steady, said Charlotte, ignoring Allison and addressing the carriage's female occupant. Take my hand. The lady, with Charlotte's help, pulled herself clear and landed very tidily on the road, her fair hair only slightly disarranged. Thank you, she said, smiling, her demeanor quite as good-natured as the gentleman's now she was rescued. You are very kind and very brave to risk yourself. Charlotte smiled back, dark eyes sparkling. Not at all, ma'am. This is the most exciting thing to happen in Willingdon for years. There we are, said the gentleman from his precarious perch above them. Neat as ninepence. But he spoke too soon, for on leaping to the road himself, landed awkwardly and turned his ankle. He cried out, face blanching, but after a deep breath attempted to rally, saying bravely, It's nothing, nothing at all. But indeed it was not nothing, and when he tried to put weight on it, he grimaced in pain. Give me your arm, sir, said Charlotte, with the usual good sense that made her the secret favorite of her father's. Our house is close by. He took it gratefully. Thank you, my dear. What kindness. I see we have fallen amongst friends. Mr. and Mrs. Haywood were fetched from their various quarters, and, as people entirely contented with their quiet corner of the world, were very glad to welcome the newcomers to it. The gentleman introduced himself and his wife as Mr. Tom and Mrs. Mary Parker. They had been in London and were on their way to their home on the Sussex coast when the fateful turn was taken towards Willingdon and its impassable lane. Already the accident had passed into amusing anecdote, at least for Mr. Parker, and once he was settled in the Haywood drawing-room, his leg elevated on a cushion and a reviving dish of tea drunk down, his customary spirits were almost entirely restored. The Haywood children, who were much taken with the strangers, had stationed themselves around the room like so many cats, and were now absorbing the Parker's every gesture and word with wide eyes. This is so, this is really so kind of you, said Mrs. Parker, smiling gamely round at them and trying not to count. Mr. Parker gave Charlotte a rueful look. We're in search of a physician, you know, for Sanditon. She was confused. Is Sanditon a relative, sir? No, a place. Um, what a place, he smiled and gleam of a rare enthusiasm in his eyes. I am amazed you have never heard of it. Sanditon is, or very soon will be, the finest seaside resort on the whole of the south coast. Charlotte's mind filled with pleasant images, soft sand, glittering water, the saline breeze in her hair. The strange restlessness that had lately begun to infect her peaceful days was stirred anew. I should very much like to see it, sir, she couldn't help saying, shocking her sister Allison all over again. Sensing a kindred spirit in his young rescuer, Mr. Parker asked for various trunks and cases to be brought in. Only a little scuffed and muddy from the lane, one of these contained Mr. Parker's precious architectural plans for the numerous improvements that were steadily transforming Sanditon from an unremarkable fishing village into a resort of the first water. A card table was brought over to where the invalid was propped and the drawing spread across it. You see, Miss Haywood, here is the Crown Hotel, the shops, new terraces here, the cliff walk, and the new assembly rooms here, he pointed them out, triumphant. Charlotte felt as though she could almost see them. Do you plan to have dancing there, sir? 
Mr. Parker was most gratified by her interest. We shall be holding our first ball next week. And you are really building all this? I am. Well, causing it to be built. For the rest of the day, Charlotte remained in Willingdon only in body. Her mind had flown south to alight at Sanditon. The book of poetry to, she took to the upper pasture to read might have been written in Greek for all the attention she paid it, and when, as the dusk crept in, she went as usual to the stables to lunge her faithful old horse, she did not see the stars coming on above her, though the air was wonderfully clear and they were especially bright. Though she did later notice the moon, silvering the water in the bowl of her washstand as she undressed for bed, she did not admire it for herself only for the astonishing fact that the same moon also illuminated the sky over Sanditon. Her reverie persisted into the next day, when she was obliged by her mother to walk into the village for some trifles. She, er, for some trifles she would have forgotten if she had not been handed a list. She wandered home, scarcely seeing the farmhands and fields she had known all her life her lively imagination quite occupied with the question of what a fashionable seaside resort might look like and how she herself might be transfigured by such a place. Her father calling out to her brought her back to herself. He was signaling to her from the open window of his office. Going inside, she found him puzzling over a thick ledger, a large bill, pile of bills at his elbow. Come and have a look at these figures. See if you can get them to balance out for me. She stood behind him and ran her finger down the column of black-inked figures. "'So what's the news from Willingdon?' said Mr. Haywood. "'What's going on in the world?' "'Nothing at all,' replied Charlotte mournfully. "'Good,' said her father. "'That's the way we like it.' Charlotte permitted herself to roll her eyes a little, though with great affection. She was quite unlike her parents, dear as they were to her. If it wasn't for her father's annual journey to London to collect his dividends— he would happily never stir from Willingdon again. To him, Willingdon was the world. Once she might have agreed, now she couldn't think of anything more stifling. There, she said, suddenly, suddenly spotting his mistake. You forgot to carry the one. She picked up the pen and neatly corrected the sum. All done. Mr. Haywood patted her in. Good girl. Some days passed in quiet fashion, as they were wont to do in the Haywood as they were wont to in the Haywood household. The weather turned chilly on the third afternoon, the wind coming from the east, and a fire had to be laid in the comfortable sitting room. Charlotte was ensconced in the corner, pretending to read her book, while Mr. Parker once again expounded the many virtues of Sanditon to Mr. and Mrs. Haywood. Since the Parker's unexpected arrival, it had become apparent to even the youngest Haywood that Mr. Parker's up-and-coming resort was his life's purpose and passion. Indeed, it had been observed by more than one person of his acquaintance that it was as good as his religion. Indeed, Mr. Haywood, he was saying now, I insist that you must come on and sample the delights of Sanditon without delay. Mr. Haywood smiled but shook his head implacably. You must forgive me, sir. I make it a principle never to go more than five miles from home. Though some version of this conversation had played out before, Mr. Parker was no less aghast. But for Sanditon, sir, for Sanditon, with all its charms, you must make an exception. My husband is ever the enthusiast, put in Mrs. Parker, with the endearing mix of pride and apology that characterized her role as Tom Parker's wife. 
"'And nothing wrong with that, madam,' returned Mr. Haywood with an affable smile. "'But he cannot tempt me.' "'Then one of your daughters, perhaps?' said she, in return for your kindness. Charlotte sat up, almost dropping her book. The movement caught Mrs. Parker's eye, who gave her a nod that was so silently encouraging it could not be mistaken. Papa, might I go? she said in a rush. Really, Charlotte? Her mother turned in her chair, shocked at her forwardness. Forgive my eldest daughter's presumption, Mr. Parker, said Mr. Haywood. But Mr. Parker waved his hand dismissively. Nothing could delight us more, Mr. Haywood. Of course Charlotte can come and stay for the season, or for as long as she likes. Can she not marry? Mrs. Parker gave Mr. Haywood a smile of the utmost sweetness. If you permit, we would be very happy, sir. Charlotte's father puffed out his cheeks and turned to his wife. Well, what do you think, my dear? I think it very kind of Mr. and Mrs. Parker, and if Charlotte is so very eager... Another reproving glance here. I am, Mama. Then, but, far, but Charlotte's father was not yet satisfied. Sanderton, I understand, is not yet fully fledged, as it were, as a seaside resort. It is uh, in the process of becoming a resort of public entertainment. Mr. Parker turned to him eagerly. Exactly, sir, and I have sunk all my resources into the enterprise. Quite a risky one, I imagine. If you had seen the situation, sir, you would not doubt. Sanditon is a very jewel of a place. His eyes shone with the conviction of a true zealot. I am absolutely convinced. If we build it, they will come. That evening, Mr. Haywood asked Charlotte to accompany him fishing. Though, to her great delight, he had relented and given permission for her to go to Sanditon, he was not yet easy in his mind. My dear. Yes, Papa? Just a word, my dear. Just a word. He hesitated, apparently searching for the right ones. These seaside resorts can be odd places. No one quite knows who anyone else is, where they come from, and what they are up to. Charlotte wasn't sure how to respond. She was suddenly gripped by the fear that her father would change his mind. That sounds stimulating, she said carefully. Mr. Haywood sighed. Yes, well, I suppose it is. But, uh, the normal rules of conduct tend to be relaxed, and sometimes altogether flouted. But if I am with Mr. and Mrs. Parker, nothing bad can happen, can it? Just, just be careful, that's all. Careful of what, Papa? Her father was looking uncharacteristically ruffled by now. Everything, he said, throwing up his hands and scaring away a shining trout, which disappeared into the depths of the dark water. I know you understand me. You're a good girl, and I can tell and can tell right from wrong. Charlotte, somewhat baffled, nodded her head and hoped that would be the end of it. Chapter 2 The Haywood family gathered to wave the Parkers and Charlotte off in their newly mended carriage. The latter was in such high spirits at the thought of the adventure ahead that there was room for neither apprehension nor sadness. The world or at least Sanditon, awaited her. Even the unsatisfactory contents of her wardrobe, now packed into a trunk and strapped to the back of the Parker's carriage, could not dampen her mood. The long journey to the coast gave Mr. Parker ample opportunity for further describing Sanditon's singular appeal. As the view beyond the carriage window changed, 
The villages more populated and the roads wider and busier than any Charlotte had seen, he kept up a flow of conversation so ceaseless that it was as though the resort's success depended on it. Now we are coming near, he cried after some hours, interrupting his own lengthy description of the new assembly rooms. Do you feel a difference in the air, Miss Haywood? I am of the firm belief that sea air is better than any medicine or tonic. And look, there is the sea itself. They crested the hill, and it appeared before her. A bolt of fine blue satin rolled out for her approval. Oh, yes, she said reverently. Reverently, There it is. Doesn't it make your spirit soar? Tom, you can't expect Charlotte to be as excited by a glimpse of salt water as you are broke in Mrs. Parker. Stuff and nonsense, he retorted. I'll wager that within a few days she'll be as keen as mustard on it. Indeed, Mrs. Parker, said Charlotte, I am eager to see everything. Oh, what a pretty house. Her eye had been caught by a snug-looking place, its garden, orchard, and the surrounding meadows quite lovely. Ah, that's our old house, said Mr. Parker dismissively, his gaze still fixed on the road ahead. I grew up in that house, but it wouldn't do. Too sheltered. No sea view. I was very happy there, said Mrs. Parker wistfully, twisting around in her seat to see the old cast-off house fade from view. I know you are, my dear, he patted her leg absently. Now, we are just coming up to Sanditon House, Lady Denham's place. She is the great lady of the town, you know, very rich and very much involved, as I am in the future of Sanditon as a first-class bathing resort. There, you see it coming into view now. As Charlotte admired the large house of grey stone in its extensive grounds, Mr. Parker turned to his wife. Shall we call upon her this very minute, my dear? I should like Miss Haywood to meet her, and I have business matters to discuss with her. Mrs. Parker gave him a reproving look. Before seeing our own children, Tom... No, well, perhaps you are right, he cleared his throat. <clears throat> Indeed, you are right, always. Trafalgar House and the children it is. The carriage now entered the resort itself. It made a most fascinating study of the pace of change. With an ancient church and a row of low-slung cottages giving way to buildings that were far younger than Charlotte herself, as they continued, passing along what was evidently the high street, with its cluster of shops and a hotel with a jutting portico, the point where Old Met New was striking. It was almost as if Mr. Parker's vision of Sanditon was an advancing army, the original buildings knowing themselves beaten and beginning the downhill retreat towards the old harbor and the sea. It must be said that Charlotte was rather too overcome to muse on the ruthless march of progress. Sanditon was so much more than Willingdon could ever hope to offer that she could only stare. "'Here we are, Miss Haywood,' said Mr. Parker, with no small amount of, of pride. "'This is civilization indeed.' The carriage rolled on and passed more shops. In one carefully dressed window, Charlotte's eye fastened upon a pair of blue shoes. Indeed, she was far from Willingdon now. The shops soon gave way to grand houses that as yet waited unoccupied, rooms to let signs sitting hopefully in their large windows. Excellent, cried Tom as the carriage came to a stop. Here we are. 
They had arrived at Trafalgar House, a large, handsome place of pale stone in the new style, compared to the soft linen uh, lines and weathered face of Charlotte's own dear home. It was startlingly, startlingly, why is that word so hard? Symmetrical. Every stone square cut and flawless. As she stepped down from the carriage, the gleaming front door was flung open and two small girls ran out to greet their parents. A toddling boy followed and finally a nursemaid carrying a round-eyed baby. Well, here we are, exclaimed Mrs. Parker happily bending to embrace them. Have you been good? Say, how do you do to Miss Haywood? The girls curtsied prettily, and the boy put up a small hand to be shaken. This is Alicia, Jenny, and Henry, and the baby is James. Charlotte beamed round at them all. How do you do? The introductions made, Mr. Parker, who wished always to be doing the next thing to whatever he was currently engaged in, ushered them inside. While the servants carried in the luggage, Charlotte was drawn to a large portrait in the hall. Its subject, a dark-haired gentleman of unusually handsome features and powerful bearing, seemed to regard her with approval as she approached. That portrait is of Sidney, my younger brother, said Mr. Parker, joining her. We're expecting him here from London in time for the ball. We're counting on his help to make Sanditon fashionable. He smiled affectionately up at the likeness. Somewhat distracted by the picture, and rather surprised that the two Mr. Parkers should look so different, Charlotte cast around for something further to say. And, er, uh, what is his occupation? Ha! Very good question. What would you say, Mary? He turned to his wife, who was taking off her hat. He's a man of affairs, a man of business. Importing, exporting, he is here, there, and everywhere. You can ask him yourself when you meet. Mrs. Parker came over and touched Charlotte's arm. Let me show you your room. Upstairs, she was shown into a lovely room, light-filled and spacious. I hope you'll be comfortable here. Thank you. I'm sure I shall, she found herself blushing. I have never had a room of my own before. Mrs. Parker squeezed her hand gently. Come down for tea as soon as you've settled in. Chapter 3 After Charlotte had changed out of her traveling clothes, she went to the window to admire the view from her new room at Trafalgar House. It was a sight quite unlike the one she was used to from the old bedroom she shared with Allison. Though some older, timber-framed buildings remained, others had obviously been cleared and replaced by a haphazard assortment of unfinished buildings that gaped open to the sky. Sorry. Beyond this confusion lay the sea, vast and inviting in the sunshine. I'm here, she thought, smiling to herself. I have arrived. It was only on the stairs that she felt a tug of apprehension. Below her, she could hear voices. One was Mr. Parker, the other, rather loud and commanding, belonged to a lady. A governess in her school, she was saying with evident dissatisfaction. Is that really the best we can muster? And what about the rest of our houses? They will be taken up soon enough, Lady Denham. Mark my words, replied Mr. Parker, a note of desperation dampening his usual buoyant tones. So you keep saying, but by whom? She retorted. You promised I would see a quick return on my investment. 
I assure you the ball will change everything. My brother Sidney is bringing a crowd of his most well-connected friends. Once they spread the word of Sanditon's delights, we will be overrun. The lady harumphed. From what I know of your brother, I won't hold my breath. And if this ball is so vital, why have you not been here to arrange it? Instead, you hair off in pursuit of a doctor we have no need of, and return with nothing more than a sprained ankle and another young lady. What is the use of that? We have enough young ladies here, unless she brings a fortune with her. Does she? Miss Haywood is a very charming... He happened to pause as Charlotte, who had been discovered loitering nervously by a servant, was shown into the drawing room. Mrs. Parker was sitting next to her husband with the newcomer. Newcomer. A stout, keen-eyed lady of fifty or so years, opposite them on the chair. Catching sight of Charlotte, Mr. Parker stood. The lady following followed his gaze and fixed Charlotte with a gimlet eye. Ah, so this is the young lady. Lady Denham, allow me to present Miss Charlotte Haywood. She dropped a curtsy, at which Lady Denham nodded her approval. Very prettily done, my dear. Mr. Parker gestured towards a young woman Charlotte had not yet noticed, who was sitting in a patch of sunlight by the window. She was extremely pretty in a doll-like way, with bright golden hair and round blue eyes. Lady Denham's ward, Miss Clara Brereton. Charlotte smiled at her, glad to meet someone about, of about her own age. Lady Denham was still inspecting Charlotte closely. Well, she's a fine, healthy-looking girl, though nothing remarkable as to looks, she continued, as though Charlotte was deaf or else impervious to criticism. What is your father, Miss Haywood? He has a small estate in Willington, ma'am, she said. And farms it, I suppose? That won't do any more. Land's not what it used to be. Industry and enterprise, that's the future. Indeed it is, murmured Mr. Parker. Charlotte smiled with all the good manners Lady Denham apparently wanted. How many brothers and sisters have you? Eleven, ma'am. Eleven! Lady Denham was scandalized. You will need to marry well, and no doubt they've sent you to Sanditon to find you a fortune. Find yourself a fortune. Charlotte's smile was growing rather fixed. Not at all, ma'am. Lady Denham, I... Mrs. Parker tried to interject. Nonsense, of course they have. Lady Denham continued, as though her hostess had not spoken. No shame in that. I married very well myself, though. I brought 30,000 of my own to the match to Sir Harry Denham. No children, ma'am, ventured Charlotte. We were not blessed. Sir Harry was elderly and in poor health. And now, do you see, everybody is waiting for me to shuffle off this mortal coil so that they can have my money. What do you say to that, Miss Haywood? If you have no direct heirs, Lady Denham, I suppose you can leave it where you please. Lady Denham clapped her hands. Ha! Quite right. You're a sharp one, Miss Haywood, but all my relations think they have a claim on it. The Brereton's? I was a Miss Brereton. Miss Clara over there is but one of many Brereton's, and there, and then there's Sir Harry's nephew and niece, Sir Edward Denham and Miss Esther, all of them hoping to do well by my demise, but there is one thing they all forget, she leaned forward conspiratorially, and that is that I have no intention at all of dying. She smiled triumphantly. For a good many years, that is. And so my advice to all of them is that they must go fend for themselves. Now you go and sit down with Miss Clara. Mr. Parker and I have matters of business to discuss. Charlotte did as she was told. 
When Lady Denon had re resumed her interrogation of Mr. Parker, Miss Brereton said in an undertone, I'm afraid you must have found Lady Denon rather rude. Charlotte searched for words that were both truthful and civil. She does seem very direct. Her companion widened her eyes. She is, but I am very grateful for her to taking me in. She gave Charlotte another sweet smile. I am the very poorest of poor relations, Miss Haywood. Charlotte, please. And may I call you Clara? Of course. How do you like Sanditon? Very much, though I have seen very little of it. Do you plan to try sea bathing? Charlotte's eyes glittered. I want to try everything there is to try. Do you care for it yourself? I confess I haven't been in the sea yet, though Sir Edward has been extolling its health-giving properties to me. Perhaps we could enjoy it, or endure it, together. I should like that very much. Charlotte was about to reply with a when a strident voice rang out. What are you talking about over there? Sea bathing, Lady Denham, said Clara meekly. Excellent. Nothing better for a young woman's circulation. She looked at Charlotte. Our bathing machines at Sanditon are the best on the whole of the south coast. Just then, the sound of the front door closing out in the hall signaled that someone had arrived. I wonder who that can be now, said Mrs. Parker. We aren't expecting Mr. Parker's brother and sister, but their health has been so uncertain. Sir Edward Denham and Miss Denham, announced the footman, and in they swept. Not the ailing Parker relatives, but Lady Denham's niece and nephew. Sir Edward fairly gleamed with good looks and the sure knowledge of them. His sister Esther, on the other hand, was rather pale and aloof, her expression as she looked around the room considerably less amiable than her brother's. "'I thought we might find you here, aunt,' said Sir Edward. "'We've been taking the air, and I thought to tempt you all out onto the cliff walk.' It was then that he caught sight of Charlotte, and rather ostentatiously lost his train of thought. "'Ah, I beg your pardon.' "'Let me introduce you to our guest.' Said Mr. Parker. Miss Haywood. Delighted. He took her hand and bent low over it, all the while gazing deep into her eyes. Enchanted to make your acquaintance, Miss Haywood. Charlotte found herself somewhat flustered. He was indeed a remarkably handsome man. As it was such a fine day, Mr. Parker, who had never knowingly missed an opportunity to demonstrate Sanditon's charms, eagerly suggested they take a walk on the cliffs. He led the way, Mrs. Parker's arm in his, followed by Lady Denham, who was flanked by Clara and Esther. Charlotte found herself appropriated by Sir Edward. So, Miss Hayward, he said in solicitous tones, what do you say to this prospect? Very picturesque, sir. It's so difficult to find the words to describe the majesty and power of the ocean, he continued with a sweeping gesture. Do you remember Sir Walter Scott's lines on the sea, so powerful and moving? No, Charlotte interrupted. I don't recall him writing anything about the sea. She gave him a mischievous smile. He laughed. <laughs> Neither do I, come to think of it. I do remember his lines on womankind, though. Oh, woman, in our hours of ease, uncertain, coy, and hard to please. Charlotte wasn't sure whether to blush or laugh. I'm not sure I would like to be described so, Sir Edward. Would you not? No, you are right. There is nothing uncertain or coy about you. But hard to please? 
I think you have more discrimination than to be easy to please. Perhaps, but hard to please sounds so disagreeable. And you are certainly not that. Now she did blush and cast around for something innocent, innocuous to say. I, I hear you're an advocate for sea bathing? I am. Miss Haywood, you must experience it. The bracing shock of the first plunge, and then the incomparable feeling of freedom and lightness. The ocean bearing you up when you give yourself to it fearlessly. The delicate play of the currents over your naked limbs. Nothing can give such a sense of well-being. Charlotte, somewhat shocked, found herself at a loss for what to say next, especially when she caught Esther Denham's cold gaze on her. Fortunately, Lady Denham was her unlikely savior. Come and walk with me, Miss Haywood, she demanded. Now he was abandoned, Esther swiftly took her brother's arm. I see you are enjoying yourself, she said to him in a sarcastic undertone, just making a newcomer feel at, newcomer feel at home, sister. Perhaps you might find time to focus on the task in hand, she gestured to, at Clara. Meanwhile, Lady Denham was talking to, or perhaps at, Charlotte. Esther there has been trying to persuade me to have her and her brother stay at Sanditon House for the season, but I have no fancy for having my house as full as, a ho as, full as a hotel, she sniffed. My housemaids would be wanting higher wages for one thing. They have Miss Clara's room to put to rights every day as it is. And Sir Edward, you know, has done very well by me. When Sir Harry died, I gave him his gold watch. She glanced sideways at Charlotte. What do you think of that? Very kind indeed said Charlotte dutifully, and when that didn't seem enough, very handsome. I didn't need to, you know, it wasn't in his will, but he's a very, he's a very good young man. How do you find him? I find him very elegant, and she wondered how she might put it, very spirited. And very well to look at? That as well. Yes, he is very well to look at, very pleasing to the young ladies, and no doubt he'll soon sow, he'll sow some wild oats, but he must marry for money. She gave Charlotte another meaningful look. A handsome young fellow like that will go about smirking and paying girls compliments, but he knows he has to marry a fortune. You do understand me. Charlotte lifted her chin. I understand you perfectly, ma'am. Yes, I think you do. You're a good sort, sensible... You're a good, sensible sort of girl. What we need at Sanditon is an heiress. If we could get a young heiress sent here for her health. And if she was ordered to drink ass's milk. What the fuck? Ass's milk. I could supply her. And then, when she got well, have her fall in love with Sir Edward. But these young heiresses are in very short supply, I find. And then there's his sister, Miss Esther. She must marry somebody of fortune, too. It's no use them looking to me for money, is it? Um... For it is all tied up in great projects, as they well know. As Lady Dunham rattled on, Charlotte saw two figures approaching on the cliff path ahead of them. One a lady of about thirty, with pink cheeks and general air of liveliness, and the other a very portly gentleman in his twenty-something years. "'There you are!' the lady cried out in their general direction. "'Are you surprised to see us? How do you do? How do you do?' Mr. Parker turned to the others. My sister, Miss Diana Parker, and my brother Arthur. What a pleasant surprise. Yes, we have all of us been very ill, said Diana with great solemnity. Almost at death's door, haven't we, Arthur? 
If her brother Tom's religion was Sanditon, Diana's was her and Arthur's state of health, and the innumerable perils the world presented to it. Arthur, a man whose natural indolence benefited from his sister's horror of dangerous exertion, shook his large head gravely. I thought I would never leave my bed. But we have rallied, as you see, Diana went on, and came to call on you as soon as we arrived. We were told you were on the cliff walk, so we decided to brave it and surprise you. Arthur squinted suspiciously at the clear sky. I wish we hadn't now. Damn chilly breeze. I think I might have caught my death. Then we must get you both indoors without delay, cried Mr. Parker. Our lodgings are nearest, said Arthur. Come and take tea with us there, and let's all of us, for God's sake, get out of this howling gale. Soon enough, they were ushered into the rather overheated house the two siblings had taken for the season. Arthur rushed to the fire and held his hands up to it as though he had lately emerged from a blizzard. You see, we made sure of a good fire, said his sister. Poor Arthur feels the cold so. Oh, she brightened. We have seen Miss Lamb, who is said to be a great heiress with a fortune in the sugar trade. Her party arrived in two hack chaises. Mr. Miss Lamb, her maid, her governess, and two Miss Bil Beauforts. I'm going to go with Beaufort. What does she look like? said Mrs. Parker eagerly. Is she pretty? To be truthful, we only caught a glimpse of her back as we went into the house, but the whole party looked very fine and respectable. To travel with her own maid? That speaks of riches, does it not, brother? He nodded. It does, and I hope she sets a fashion, and all the rich young heiresses flock to Sanditon to spend, spend, spend. Come and sit by me, Miss Haywood, said Arthur. Warm yourself. You must be as chilled to the bone as I am. Charlotte suppressed a smile. Thank you, but I don't find the weather chilly at all. He gazed at her in admiration and wonderment. What a constitution you must have. I like the air, you know, as much as anyone, but it doesn't like me. My nerves, you see. My sister thinks me bilious, but I doubt it. If I were bilious, wine would disagree with me, but it always does my nerves good. Do you know, the more I drink, the better I feel. I often wake up in the morning feeling very groggy, but after a few glasses of wine, I'm right as rain. That is quite remarkable, don't you think? <laughs> Charlotte was not sure that she did. You don't think regular exercise? Regular exercise? I wish my nerves were up to it, Miss Haywood. Indeed I do. But strong wine is the only thing that does me any good at all. <laughs> though I can take a little toast with butter on it. No more than six or seven slices, though. Let me toast some first now. A little bit of toast won't do us any harm. Will you let me toast you a slice or two? She nodded her assent. With plenty of butter, that's the secret. Toast with no butter is an abomination, very bad for the coats of the stomach. She stifled a laugh. I will try to remember that. He took up the toasting fork and speared a slice of bread. If I were to be shipwrecked on a desert island with nothing but hot buttered toast and port wine, I should be quite content, you know. <laughs> now she did laugh openly. <laughs> I can't imagine quite how such a circumstance would come about. No, I suppose not, but if it did... I'd be a happy man. They smiled at each other. Charlotte liked him. Though at first meeting he had seemed rather an oaf, she suspected this was in part for everyone's amusement, including his own. 
The barometer is set fair, said Mr. Parker from the far end of the room where he was tapping the glass. I propose a sea bathing party tomorrow. Arthur caught Charlotte's eye before turning back to his toast. Madness, he muttered. Chapter 4 The next day dawned fine and perfectly clear, just as the barometer had promised. The occupants of Trafalgar House descended to Sanditon's Beach straight after breakfast, where they met Mr. Parker's brother, Arthur, Miss Clara Brereton, and, Mr. and Sir Edward Denham. Though it was still quite early, the sand was already thronged with people, from promenading ladies and excited dogs to children on donkeys being led up and down. It was such a happy, lively scene that it immediately sent Mr. Parker into raptures. Here we are, he cried jubilantly. A perfect day, as I promised you. But this is where we must part company. Ladies, you see the bathing machine away too. We men must go further down the beach. Charlotte eyed the row of bathing machines he was gesturing towards. Despite the flamboyant sea creatures that writhed along their wooden sides in red and gold, they were little more than horse-drawn wagons with doors at front and back. As she, Clara, and Mrs. Parker approached them, her excitement was tempered with apprehension. She was rather afraid that taking off her dress to bathe almost naked in the sea was precisely what her father had been struggling to articulate in his warning to her. Two of these will accommodate. Oh, crap! Starting over. Two of these will accommodate us all," said Mrs. Parker, apparently quite unperturbed. "Unless any of you prefer to be private." Charlotte and Clara exchanged slides. Exchanged shy, fuck, shy glances. For myself, I should be glad of your company," said Charlotte. Clara nodded eagerly, and I. You can show us the right way to go about it, said Charlotte to Mrs. Parker. I must confess, I feel a little nervous. Oh, you'll soon get in the way of it, won't they, girls? She addressed the last to a pair of remarkably sturdy women who, from their muscled legs and leathery skin, were obviously old hands at sea bathing. We go swimming almost every day in the season, Mrs. Parker continued. Here we are. It's quite private. We can change without being seen. Once the carts had been led down to the water's edge, Mrs. Parker entered one with her daughters, Jenny and Alicia, while Charlotte and Clara shared the other. They helped each other undo the many buttons of their dresses and then moved gingerly towards the door. Cool fingers of sea air blew right through the diaphanous muslin smocks Mrs. Parker had lent them. Charlotte turned to Clara with a nervous smile. It's now or never. Taking the strong arm of one of the bathing ladies, she stepped into the water, which was so shockingly cold that a gasp bubbled out of her. Another splash and gasp told her Clara was in, too. Turning to each other, they burst into peals of laughter. Some hundred yards up the beach, the gentlemen had already shed their clothes in the tent provided for the purpose. In the water, a great many men and boys were already shouting and larking about. Arthur, who had not yet changed, regarded them dubiously. I think I shall just watch and look after your clothes. Tom Parker frowned. I'm disappointed in you, Arthur, wearing not a stitch of clothing between them. Oh, wearing not a stitch of clothing between them, 
he and Sir Edward strode manfully toward the sea. Arthur, who had been growingly who had been growing increasingly hot in the sun, didn't want to be so excluded. Oh, damn it all! He suddenly expostulated and began tearing off his own clothes. Before he could change his mind, or Diana's voice in his head could cry caution, he barreled into the water, displacing an impressive amount of it into the air. Well done, Arthur, cried Tom, as the younger Parker passed him and continued swimming towards the open water at a speed that suggested his life depended on it. Good God, remarked Sir Edward, most astonished. Mr. Parker gave him a knowing look. My brother is a very unexpected man. Further up the beach, Charlotte was enjoying the water immensely. She could just feel the sand at the sea bottom if she stretched out her toes. This is so, this is delightful, isn't it? said Clara. Yes, wonderful. A couple of familiar figures in the near distance caught Charlotte's attention. Are those the men over there? Yes, yes, I think so. She risked another look towards the men. She hadn't been sure at first, but yes, it looked as though they had removed their shirts and possibly everything else. Despite the chill of the water, she found herself blushing. Do they really have no clothes on? She said shyly. Clara gave her an unexpectedly mischievous smile. None whatsoever. She thought on this for a distracted minute and... When she glanced over again, couldn't help exclaiming, Clara, the men are getting closer. And what of it? She replied and began to swim towards them, leaving Charlotte staring after her in shocked surprise. Chapter 5 Much to everyone's comfort and pleasure, the weather the day after the bathing party went on just as fine. Charlotte couldn't help smiling to herself as she went downstairs after dressing. Sanditon was proving to be everything she had hoped it would be, and a great deal more. Here, her mind strayed again to the exhilaration of her swim. As much as she missed her family, Willingdon and its quiet rhythms seemed like a thousand years ago. Mrs. Parker and her daughters were already seated at the breakfast table when she got there. Mr. Parker, for his part, was pacing agitatedly. It's too bad. It's really too bad. It's nothing to worry about, really, said Mrs. Parker soothingly. Nothing to worry about. No word from him, and the ball only a day away. Good morning, Charlotte, he said as she took her place. Mrs. Parker continued to smile with great patience. You know Sidney always leaves everything to the last minute, dear. But does he realize the paramount importance of the this occasion? Is it really so very important? Of course it is. Of course it is. Sanditon's first ball. Sit down and eat your breakfast, Tom. I can't. I'm too... Too distracted even to finish his sentence, he marched from the room. It was only after breakfast, once the two ladies had set forth for Sanditon's shops, that Mrs. Parker confided in Charlotte. The sun was so bright on the water below that Charlotte had to shield her eyes from it. My husband has two wives, Charlotte, said Mrs. Parker with admirable fondness. Myself and Sanditon. And I'd hesitate to say which of us he cares for most. Marriage is very much about making allowances for the other person, as I'm sure you'll find out for yourself. She laughed softly. And life with Tom is at least never dull. 
but, forgive me, he was comfortably situated, said Charlotte in her plain-spoken way. He had no need to throw himself into all this speculative activity. Yes, indeed. I had no idea what I was letting myself in for when I fell in love with Tom. But here we are. She gestured to the activity going on around them, from the new-built houses to the respectable visitors promenading past them. Charlotte smiled. There is something thrilling about that, don't you think? Thrilling, but exhausting. They were now by, they were by now outside Healy's, the shoe shop. The blue shoes she had seen before were still displayed prominently in the window. At close quarters, they were even more glorious. Now what do you think of those? said Mrs. Parker. Oh, they're lovely, Charlotte breathed. I think you would look very well in them at the ball, said Mrs. Parker. Shall we go in? Despite her protestations, the shoes were soon tried on and pronounced the perfect fit. Charlotte could hardly believe her good fortune. They were already halfway back up the hill to Trafalgar House when she realized hers was the only purchase. You didn't buy anything for yourself. Mrs. Parker waved her concern away. I no longer need to put all my charms on display, and Tom likes me well enough in any old thing. He's very worried that if Sydney doesn't come and bring a friend or two, won't be enough eligible young men for you young ladies, but you wouldn't be too proud to dance with a clerk or a shopkeeper, would you? Indeed I would not. I love to dance, and I'll stand up with anyone who will partner me. Excellent, and I hope the mysterious Miss Lamb and her friends are the same agreeable frame of mind. Oh, look, here is Miss Denham. Esther Denham greeted them with a chilly smile. Miss Parker, Miss Hayward, well met. I was growing sick of my own company. Could I persuade you to walk a few steps with me? I have to see to I have things to see to at home, said Mrs. Parker. But Charlotte? She looked expectantly at her. Gladly. So what do you think of us all so far? said Miss Denham, when they had found a bench upon which to take their ease. Charlotte hesitated, rather intimidated by Miss Denham's cool manner. It's always pleasant to make new acquaintances. Very prettily said. And you don't mean a word of it. I saw Lady D haranguing you the other day. What was she talking about? Well, her money mostly. And how we are scheming to get it, no doubt. She talks of little else. She's a mean, miserly old monster. Charlotte couldn't bring herself to disagree. I did find myself feeling a little sorry for Miss Brereton. But Miss Denham snorted der derisively, derisively at that. Oh, she has no need of your sympathy. She is well enough, basking in the warmth and luxury of Sanditon House, while Edward and I shiver in the damp and cold of Denham Place. If she succeeds in her object, which is of course to get everything herself, I swear I'll poison her. Charlotte was shocked and could only hope that she was being teased. I'm sure you don't mean that. You wait and see. And your hosts? I am very fond of them already. Miss Denham gave her another withering look. Mr. Tom Parker is a monomaniac who is well on the way to ruining himself and his family with his crazy schemes. You don't really think that, Charlotte felt rather indignant. I think his ideas are admirable. Wait till he bankrupts himself. I have nothing against his wife. Indeed, I feel very sorry for her. 
His brother is a buffoon, as no doubt you've noticed for yourself. And as for Sydney, I have not had the pleasure yet. Very unstable and unreliable, pronounced Miss Denham. I advise you to be on your guard. Thank you, Charlotte said weakly. She didn't know how to respond to this barrage of disparagement. All in all, I think you may come to regret ever setting foot in Sanditon, continued Miss Denham. I know I do. She turned to face the water, which looked particularly dazzling from their vantage point, the sun glancing off the blue like scattered gold. Look at that view, she said despondently. See, sky, isn't it all unutterably dreary? Charlotte could only stare at her in astonishment. The day wore on in a pleasant fashion, but over a luncheon of cold meats, Mrs. Parker turned to Charlotte. Lady Denham has been asking me why you haven't been to call on her yet, my dear. Mr. Parker spoke before Charlotte could. The reason is that whenever we set out to call on her, we meet her on the way, and she comes back and takes her tea here. I have been thinking of sending her a bill. Well, however that may be, I promised her that we would call this afternoon. I hope that suits you, Charlotte. She nodded. It suits me very well. I have been looking forward to seeing Sanditon House. When the meal was finished, Mrs. Parker and Charlotte set out on foot once ag- together once again. A mist had rolled in from the sea, casting the town in a strange and spectral light. "'What sort of carriage is that?' said Mrs. Parker as one approached. "'It's so hard to make out through the haze. I think it's open. Are there two horses or four? Mrs. Parker peered again and then straightened. "'Charlotte! I do believe it might be. Yes, it is!' It's Tom's brother, Sidney. She began waving, and a man in the carriage waved back. He pulled the horses to a stop, handed the reins to the servant who was sitting next to him, and jumped down. Mary, well met. He pulled his sister-in-law into an affectionate embrace, giving Charlotte an opportunity to study him at close quarters. He was quite as good-looking as his portrait, with a marked air of ease and fashion. But when he stepped back from Mrs. Parker... He gave her only a cursory glance. A new maid? Sydney, this is Miss Charlotte Haywood. She's our guest at Trafalgar House. He took Charlotte's hand and made a half-hearted bow. Miss, he'd forgotten it already. Haywood, said Charlotte primly. Miss Haywood, he repeated, though he was already looking off into the distance, as though something more diverting would surely be found there. Charlotte was stung, but resolved not to care. "'Are you on your way to Trafalgar House?' said Miss Parker smoothly. "'You'll stay with us, of course.' "'No, I've taken rooms at the hotel. My friends will be joining me there. Of course I'll come to see you, this evening, if you will. And tomorrow evening is the famous ball, is it not?' Mrs. Parker shook her head. "'Tom has been in such a state about it. You will do all you can to help, won't you?' His jaw tightened almost imperceptibly, though Charlotte caught it. Tell him he has nothing to worry about. All is in hand. You're on your way to Lady D's? We are. Then I won't keep you, Miss Haywood. Then I won't keep you, Miss Haywood. With another cursory bow, he jumped back up beside the driver, and the carriage moved off. Mrs. Parker turned to watch them disappear into the gauzy air. He is so good. Charlotte Charlotte elected to say nothing, but her companion, her companion caught her doubtful look. 
He has too many concerns, and yet he always manages to come to Tom's aid when he's in need. He can be abrupt and inattentive, as he was just now with you, but he has a good heart. I am glad to hear it, said Charlotte with asperity. But I do worry about his own happiness, said Mrs. Mrs. Parker continued. I should like to see him settled, but I fear it's not in his nature. They walked on, the ground rising beneath their feet. At the brow of the hill, they stopped to recover. Here we are, said Mrs. Parker, slightly out of breath. This hill, this land, all belongs to Sanditon House. It's a fine park. It complements the house very well. And indeed it did. The house was very large, yet did not overwhelm the landscaped parkland that surrounded it. Nature seemed to cradle it perfectly. It was quite the most impressive house Charlotte had ever visited. Lady Denham is very proud of it, said Mrs. Barker. They are dear, though they're very shy. You can sometimes see them over there, on the other side of that fence. She gestured off to the side, and Charlotte went over to look, standing on tiptoes to see over it. About twenty yards away, something white caught her eye, half obscured by foliage. Looking more closely, she saw with surprise that it was Clara Brereton sitting on the grass. She was accompanied by someone, and, yes, it was Sir Edward Denham. She peered closer still. There was something strange about their stances. They were markedly close, almost entangled together. Clara's arms, arm seemed to be moving, and Charlotte couldn't work out whether she was fending off Sir Edward or... Unsure what she was witnessing, but certainly certain that it was a private matter she was not meant to have stumbled upon, she retreated and trod on a stick, which was old and brittle, and snapped loudly. Both figures on the grass turned at the noise, and Charlotte hurried back to Mrs. Parker. "'Did you see any?' Charlotte shook her head, slightly breathless, her cheeks hot. "'No, for a moment I thought I did, but I—' Mrs. Parker smiled guilelessly. As I said, they're very shy. Mr. Parker, Mr. Tom Parker, strode into his study, his countenance openly anxious now that Mary and Charlotte had left him alone with his thoughts. You look concerned, Tom. Anything I can help with? The familiar voice made Mr. Parker's head snap up and his brow unfurl. His brother Sidney was seated at his own desk, a drink in hand, his worried heart gladdened at the sight of him. Sidney, I have never been so pleased to see anyone. He pulled him into a warm embrace. You didn't doubt I would come? His elder brother faltered for a moment. No, he eventually managed. No, no, not for a moment. You are here now. That is all that matters. His face clouded over again. But you are not alone. I had hoped Do you might bring some friends with you. Rest easy, brother. I have done just as you asked. As we speak, Lord Babington and Mr. Crow are habituating themselves to the charms of the Crown Hotel. Splendid, splendid. I know I could depend on you, brother. Between them and our heiress, even Lady Denham might concede that we are well on our way to becoming a fashionable destination. By heiress, I take it Miss Lamb has arrived in Sanditon? For the first time, his expression grew sober. His brother was surprised. What do you know of Miss Lamb? Sidney picked up his glass and drained it. A good deal more than I'd like to. He raised a smile. Come, have another drink with me. 
When Mrs. Parker and Charlotte reached Sanditon House, the footman informed them that Lady Denham would be with them shortly. Left alone in the imposing entrance hall, Charlotte couldn't help but gop open-mouthed. If a visitor had been in any doubt of Lady Denham's wealth on the approach, they would know it for certain here. Lady Denham bustled into view. Mrs. Parker, Miss Haywood, forgive me. I have been trying to find Miss Clara. I can't think where the girls got to. As Charlotte and Miss Parker, Mrs. Parker followed Lady Denham into the drawing room, she felt her cheeks color again. She knew exactly where Miss Clara was and who she was with. Fortunately, she then looked up and the enormous room before her banished all other thoughts. It was nothing less than extraordinary. Almost every item in it black and gold. A gilt statue of Neptune dominated one end of the enormous room, while the walls were painted from floor to ceiling with mythical creatures of the sea and towering angry waves. A gigantic chandelier glittered above floor tiles depicting a giant serpent, curled as if poised to strike. Charlotte's mouth dropped open in astonishment. It was more like a pagan temple than a mere drawing room. She did not believe herself sophisticated enough to judge, but in her heart she thought it was rather monstrous. Well, sit down, sit down, said Lady Denham with a gratified little smile. She had noted, and happily misread, Charlotte's apparent awe. Higgs will bring us tea. So, Miss Haywood, I hear you have had your swim. How did you find it? Very invigorating, ma'am, Charlotte managed to say. I hope to make a regular thing of it. Good, good. And did you drink the seawater as well? Well, not on purpose. Ah, oh, you should, you should. I take half a tumbler of it every morning. Where is that girl, I wonder? Just at that moment, Charlotte, who was facing the open door, saw Clara dart past in a state of some dishevelment. "'Well, never mind her,' continued Lady Denham, who had noticed nothing. "'Are you looking forward to tomorrow's ball?' "'Very much, ma'am. I was a fine dancer once upon a time, but my dancing days are over now. Ah, here she comes, the rascal!' Clara hurried in, looking flustered, her eyes feverishly bright. exclaimed Lady Denham. I have had the servants all over the house looking for you. Forgive me, aunt. I was walking in the park. She glanced at Charlotte and, reddening, looked away in confusion. Evidently, she had seen her in the park. Lady Denham, apparently oblivious to this awkwardness, gestured towards the piano in the corner. Well, you can play for us as penance. I've had the instrument brought over from Denham Place, she confided to Charlotte and Mrs. Parker. Miss Esther has neither the taste nor any gift for music. Clara, on the other hand, plays very tolerably. Well, sit down, girl, and demonstrate your talent. Clara played the piece well, her only fumble occurring when she looked up and again caught Charlotte's questioning eye. Chapter 6 the following evening brought the event that had dominated Mr. Parker's thoughts for weeks. By the time they reached the assembly rooms, he was in such a stew of excitement and frayed nerves that Mrs. Parker had to lay a steadying hand on his brow. Charlotte, dressed in her best and the new blue shoes, which were now her dearest possession, had none of Mr. Parker's dread in almost all of his excitement. Although, in truth, and to a Londoner's jaded eye, it was, a it was little more than a country dance. To Charlotte, it seemed the very height of sophistication. 
Mr. Parker's attention to his dress had made them rather later than planned, and the high-ceilinged room was already busy with guests and humming with conversation and laughter. Charlotte was so occupied in absorbing the general scene that she failed to notice an exchange between Sir Edward and his sister Esther, who were side by side playing cards at one end of the room. Sir Edward running his hand lingeringly up Esther's gloved arm. If she had seen Esther briefly close her eyes with illicit pleasure as the hand inched upwards, she would have been no less shocked than she had been in Lady Denham's dear park. Sir Edward only removed his hand when Mr. Parker cleared his voice and called for the room's attention. Lady Denham, ladies and gentlemen, he began. Let me welcome you to our first ball of the season. Our committee has agreed that there will be no standing on ceremony here. If a lady wishes to be introduced to a gentleman, or vice versa, I will be happy to do the honors. Let good fellowship prevail, and I hope you all have come prepared to dance. Mr. Cromarty? The conductor of the band struck up, and the guests began moving naturally into couples, ready for the first dance. Mr. Parker, flushed from his speech and the festive air which augured well for the rest of the evening, was ecstatic to see his brother enter the room. Even better, he was accompanied by the two promised gentlemen, who looked precisely the sort of quality Sanditon needed to attract. Sidney, he exclaimed, beckoning them all over with a smile. There you are. Make yourself known to these ladies over here. Sidney obligingly joined them, his companions in tow. "'Miss Hayward, Miss Denham, Miss Brereton,' he said. "'Let me introduce you, my friends, or let me introduce my friends, Mr. Crow and Lord Babington.' "'Our friend has assured us good sport here,' said Mr. Crow suggestively, his eye roving over the ladies. "'Shall we find any?' Esther regarded him haughtily. "'I believe there's very little shooting in the neighborhood, sir.' "'I wasn't thinking of shooting,' he said with a grin. Charlotte frowned in confusion, and then, a little understanding dawning of what he was angling at, found herself flushing yet again. The slightly better-mannered Lord Babington noticed her discomfort. "'My friend was thinking of dancing, I am sure,' he smiled kindly. "'Could we persuade any of you young ladies to dance with us?' "'I'm sure you could, sir,' said Charlotte gratefully. But then— just as she was sure he would lead her onto the dance floor, he moved to take Esther's hand instead, leaving Clara with Mr. Crow and herself with Sidney Parker. The dance afforded only momentary opportunities for conversation, and though her partner seemed content with silence, Charlotte could not help but try. "'Your brother was very pleased with you, Mr. Parker,' she said as they drew close. "'I hope you will. Babington's a good fellow, and what's more, he's a friend of the Prince Regent.' Now, if he could be tempted to come to Sanditon. The general rejoicing would be unconfined, I imagine, replied Charlotte drily before, dryly, drily, I don't know, before being whirled away from him. Sanditon's reputation would be firmly established, he said. Then they came together again. And you care about such things? She said, slightly breathless by now. She wasn't sure if it was the pace of the dance or Sidney Parker's intimidating air. For my brother's sake, I do he said. At that moment, the music ceased. Mr. Parker was ready to announce the entrance of a new group of guests. Mrs. Griffiths, Miss Julia Beaufort, Miss Phillida Beaufort, and Miss Georgiana Lamb, 
Intrigued, especially by rumors of Miss Lamb, the crowd turned as one to inspect the strangers. Like them, Charlotte couldn't help staring. Not only was the heiress beautiful and very finely turned out, but she was also darker-skinned than anyone else in the room. As the crowd began to murmur at this novelty, the word negress audible from at least one quarter. Miss Lamb looked on proudly and somewhat wearily, as though this had happened, this had happened more times than she cared to remember. Her gaze eventually settled on Sydney, who went forward to greet her. Georgiana, delighted you could join us. If Charlotte was surprised the two knew each other, she was more taken aback when Miss Lamb chose not to reply. Instead, the mysterious heiress threw Sydney an icy glare and simply stalked away. The music struck up again, and Charlotte had just turned to face Sydney when Sir Edward stepped between them. May I have the pleasure? he said. Sydney, who was still frowning after Miss Lamb, gave way without demur, leaving Charlotte no choice to accept. You're looking very lovely this evening, Sir Edward said once they were alone. Thank you, sir. She did not quite meet his eye. His air of supreme confidence faltered a little. I would like to... He stopped and then tried again. What you saw yesterday afternoon. What you thought you saw. The dance moved them away, and when they were brought back together, Charlotte concentrated on her blue shoes. It was none of my business. But I'm anxious that you should not get the wrong impression, he pressed. Mrs. Brereton, or Miss Brereton, was distressed, and I was endeavoring to comfort her. Charlotte knew her cheeks were growing hot again. She wished he would stop. You have no need to explain yourself to me. But you won't, you promise you won't speak of it to others? Charlotte looked up at that. Do you really think I would? She said reprovingly. No, of course. You were altogether too good, too pure in heart, too gossip. With that, thankfully, the music parted them again, and he was forced to say no more. On the other side of the dance floor, Sidney found himself face to face with Miss Lamb. Mr. Parker, she said stonily. How do you like Sanderson? Little you care, she spat, moving off down the line of dance partners before he had a chance to reply. You mistake me, he said, when he had caught up with her, her escape hampered by the other dancers. I have your interests very much at heart. Then you should have left me where you found me, she said furiously. He sighed. Believe me, I wish I could have, but duty dictated otherwise. Damn your duty, she said, dark eyes flashing. He was relieved when the dance spun her away again. In another part of the room, Lady Denham had engaged Mrs. Griffiths in conversation about her young charges. Miss Lamb is from a very wealthy family in Antigua said Mrs. Griffiths confidingly. She was enjoying the attention the heiress had brought her immensely. Very wealthy indeed, and she would be even more so if her father or ha and she would be even more so had her father not ended his business there and set his slaves free before his death. She came to London to complete her education and has been in London for some time. Lady Denham absorbed these confidences with interest. Any other girls? Equally advantaged, I hope? Not quite, but the Beaufort girls are very genteel. All three are quite ready to enter society. They just need a little guidance and to be chaperoned. 
Good girls, are they? said Lady Denham, leaning closer. Need to keep a sharp eye on them? Oh, they're delightful girls, but... And here, Mrs. Griffiths paused. Well, they are girls, you know, and young men being what they are, one needs to be constantly vigilant. She lowered her voice. Between you and me, Lady Denham, I understand there was another reason for removing Miss Lamb from London. Lady Denham looked, nodded sagely. Hmm. Doesn't surprise me in the least. What's her fortune? A hundred thousand pounds, she breathed in reverent tones. Ah, said Lady Denham, the light of an idea beginning to glow in her eyes. Behind her, Arthur Parker, who had been idly eavesdropping on this conversation while enjoying his third pork pie of the evening, inhaled a piece of pastry and almost choked. Spotting Miss Lamb on the other side of the room, he loudly cleared his throat and strode purposefully toward her. Arriving just as a slow waltz began, he led her onto the dance floor with surprising grace. He didn't appear to hear his sister, Diana, calling after him to be careful. Charlotte was sitting out the waltz. In truth, her beloved new shoes were pinching slightly. Clara Brereton appeared from nowhere and sat down beside her. Can we speak? Of course, she replied with some trepidation. I saw Sir Edward talking with you. Was he... did he speak about yesterday afternoon? Yes, he did. And what did he say? He said you were distressed, and he was doing his best to comfort you. Clara's blue eyes flared. How dare he say that? Apparently, almost overcome, she took in some deep breaths. If I was distressed, she said when she had mastered herself, it was his conduct that distressed me. Oh. He was forcing his attentions on me. Oh. Clara turned to Charlotte. He is not to be trusted, and you should be on your guard against him, too. I say this as your friend. He has no conscience and no sense of what is proper or decent. I believe he intends to ruin me in Lady Denham's eyes. Her eyes filled with tears. How shocking. But why would he do that? Clara dabbed at her eyes. Because she favors me, of course. He fears she will favor me over him in her will. But he sees every girl he encounters as fair game. I have heard there are men like that. Well, there are. He is one of them. It has been my fate to meet with more than one of his kind. You come from a happy and loving family, I expect. I do. Mine was not, and I am so grateful to Lady Denham for rescuing me from it. What you saw yesterday afternoon, I was obliged to do something I didn't want to do in order to avoid something even worse. Charlotte had never felt less sophisticated. I don't understand. No, of, of course, I, I shouldn't have. Clara had suddenly understood that Charlie, Charlotte really didn't know what she had seen. He won't say anything to Lady Denham? Charlotte shook her head, still mortifyingly confused. Of course not. But shouldn't Sir Edward's conduct be exposed? How could it be, without involving my disgrace? Mr. Crow approached at that moment, cutting Clara short. Miss Brereton, can I tempt you back onto the floor? Quite abruptly, as though the conversation with Charlotte had never taken place, Clara put her hand in Mr. Crow's and stood. Very happily, sir, she said with a pretty smile. Even more confused now, Charlotte watched them walk away, Clara smiling and simpering as though she hadn't a care in the world. 
In need of some air to gather her wits, Charlotte went towards the balcony. She hoped to find it des deserted, but Sidney Parker was already there, apparently deep in thought. Oh, I beg your pardon. Not necessary, he smiled at her, the first proper one he had bestowed on her. It quite transformed his face. A penny for your thoughts, Miss Haywood? She sighed. Hmm. I was thinking how very hard it is to make people out. He was amused. And did anyone in particular provoke that thought? She glanced behind her at the heaving throng on the dance floor. Oh, people in general. I like to amuse myself by observing and trying to make conclusions. But in a place like Sanditon, where strangers mingle freely, it is hard to form a reliable judgment. People can be so difficult to interpret, don't you find? Some people can, he said heavily, but noticing her questioning look continued more lightly. And what have you observed about me on our small acquaintance? She smiled. I think you must be the sensible brother of the three. And what makes you say that? Well, I may be mistaken, but it seems to me that your younger brother Arthur is of a very contrary nature, alternately over-lethargic and over-energetic, while your elder brother Tom could be called over-enthusiastic. I am afraid that despite his good nature, he neglects his own happiness and his family's in his devotion to Sanditon. Don't you agree? There was a silence. When Sidney spoke again, his voice had grown cold. Upon my word, Miss Haywood, you are very free with your opinions. Charlotte was flustered. She had spoken freely, as was her way. I, I beg your pardon. I did not mean to. Upon what experience of the world do you form your judgments? He interrupted her. I, I, his lip curled. Where have you been? Nowhere. What have you learned? Nothing, it would seem. And yet you take it upon yourself to criticize. Let me put it to you, Miss Haywood. Which is the better way to live? To sit in your father's house with your piano and your embroidery, waiting for someone to come along and take you off your parents' hands? Or to expend your energy in trying to make a difference? To leave your mark? To leave the world in a better state than you found it? That is what my brother Tom is trying to do the expense of a great deal of effort and anxiety, in a good cause in which I do my best to support and help him, and you see fit to amuse yourself at his expense? Charlotte thought she might faint with mortification. I, I beg your pardon. I have offended you. Please forgive me. Offended me, he said dismissively, one eyebrow raised. No, you have not offended me. It is I who is at fault. I should not have expected any more from a girl with so little experience and understanding. Excuse me. With that, he turned on his heel and left her standing there alone. She couldn't move. She thought that if she tried, she might just shatter into a thousand humiliated pieces. For the first time since her adventure in Sanditon had begun, she wished most fervently that she could go home to Willington.